Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Tudor as we talk about college basketball, the MLB, the NBA, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 172. While, yes, you're accustomed to having a fun fact to start off your episode this week, rather than just telling you a fun fact, we're going to have Kyle host a one-question trivia session where we will all learn a singular fun fact together. Kyle? Yeah, so in light of the NFL draft uh, fast approaching later in the month of April, uh, Wait, I came really? across... the draft is in April? Yes. How is it coming up that fast? How did I just miss that the NFL draft is in like a week and a half? Because we're too concerned with baseball and Fair enough. college basketball news, which we'll get to. But first... With the NFL draft approaching, I came across this interesting statistic today, and I was wondering if uh, you all like had, or would want to play along with this. So the question is, which uh, NCAA team has the longest active drought without a first-round NFL draft pick? Iowa State, 49 years. That would be my guess, yeah. Well, that's no fun. I mean, that seems like a, that's like a leading question if I've ever heard it. We know what we talk about here. But how did he know the years? Okay, well, yeah, obviously he knew because, that. 49. Because, because I saw the same tweet this afternoon. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're the worst. All right, everyone except for Mike. Who? Anyone want to take a stab at who's number two? Or anyone else in the top, was that eight? Top eight or ten? Hmm. We're not just going to turn this into a how good is Mike's memory exercise? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Number two, I don't know what that would be. Is this like only Power 5 schools, I assume? Yes. I say I hope I so. I don't know. I'll, I'll pick Rutgers. They're um, in the top nine. Big 10. I'll give you a hint. Big 10. Nebraska. Ooh, Nebraska is a good pick. Um, how good's Maryland? I have no idea. Not on this list. Maryland. Oh, crap. Oh, not You're on wrong. this list. Indiana. Indiana. 20 years. Yeah. 20 years. 28 a, years. What are the, my memory's not as good as I thought. What are, yeah. So, and then rounding out the uh, last of this list, um, not all of them, I guess, but what other Big 12 teams appear on this list? Um. Okay. I'm thinking back through my head and then marking them off as I feel like I can remember somebody who was there. Not Oklahoma. Colorado. Yeah, not Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> Would Colorado State be on there? Uh, current Big 12. Oh, okay. I feel like K-State just had a center get taken in the first round not long ago. I think he went to the Bears. Uh, West Virginia had Tavon Austin go to the Rams, I think, in the first round. I remember that. Who did... Um... Crap. Presumably Kansas, Kansas hasn't had somebody right? drafted no. in the first round. No, Kansas so. has had somebody. I thought they did somewhat yeah. recently. Well, you'd be thinking back to like the Chris Harris and Aqib Talib days at mm-hmm. KU. When I think That's both not of them that were drafted in the first. So 2000, in, like late 2000s, right? Yeah. yeah. So Kansas does appear on that list. It's okay. been 14 years since they've had a first rounder. And Ariane, you already mentioned the other Big 12 team. It'd be case Was it West there. Virginia? Nope, it was K State. K State's got it. K State at thirteen years. Okay, so I was I believe 
I believe the last first rounder K State has, I'm blanking on it now. Um, I think it was an offensive lineman back then, but I'd have to look it up. So we had Iowa State with 48 years or something. Indiana 49, with 49 years. 49. In, yep. Indiana with, with 28. What was number three and what was their number three is Arizona at 14. Uh, then you oh, got yeah, Kansas. Kansas at 14, Vanderbilt at 14, uh, K-State at 13, Virginia 13, Georgia Tech 12, and Rutgers 12. So, so it really tightens up after you get past uh, Iowa past State and Indiana. And Indiana. And there's a large gap between Indiana and Iowa State. Yeah, we're proud to hold wow. it down. And then uh, It's possible but unlikely that that uh, streak is going to end this year, right? I suppose there's an outside right. shot that Hall or Cola go in the first round. I think Hall is one of the top 32 players in the draft, but running back is just not a position that gets drafted in the first round anymore. Yeah, I mean, we drafted running backs in the first round for like a span of five years randomly all of a sudden, starting with like Melvin Gordon and Todd Gurley, and we see how that's panned out. So I feel like we've moved back to like, maybe just don't do that because it doesn't work out very well most of the time. Also, Cody Whitehair is who I was thinking of. He got drafted in the second round. Cody Whitehair. So the last first round draft pick from K-State was... Josh Freeman, quarterback, who went oh. to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay, yeah. It's been a long time. And, and played one game for the Minnesota Vikings and was a disaster. And if my memory serves me correctly for the Kansas Jayhawks, I believe it's Aqib Tlaib and Chris Harris being selected in the same year. Uh, that was probably like, what, 2009? No, it was Aqib Tlaib in 2008 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who was drafted in the first round. Chris Harris. Gotcha. I don't know. I don't see his name. Never mind. Maybe not Chris Harris. So there it is. There's your Iowa State is bad at football, everybody. Who knew? (laughs) At least, I mean, bad at football, but at least bad at producing like NFL talent, too. Uh, Unlike the unlike the men's basketball team, which typically, I mean, prides itself on uh, getting players to the NBA. And speaking of players that we thought might be in the NBA after a, uh, well, what we had hoped long and storied career at Iowa State is um, Tyrese Hunter. The, who wants to fill us in on the, the Tyrese Hunter news today? I do not. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't know. So the, the, the rumors have been circulating for a um, couple days now that Tyrese Hunter was going to enter the transfer portal, um, but it turned out that uh, – those at the time were false, but really they were true because like two and a half days later, um, it did. He did post something. To, I don't know if he posted on his Instagram. Anyway, it got circulated widely that um, he is transferring. Um, he has not announced a destination, but his name is officially in the transfer portal. Um, one thing to note is it doesn't necess- does not necessarily mean he has to leave. He can always pull his name out of the portal and come back. But that doesn't happen very often. So I think the safe assumption is that he is gone. Um, the rumor is that he signed a NIL deal with some company and that some company made it contingent that he leaves Iowa State for a bigger school, I guess. More notoriety. I don't know why they would do that, but apparently that, that's what I heard. Um, that's the rumor. We'll see about that. We'll see where he goes. That might shed some light on it too. But that's um, what we heard. Um, 
obviously this is a big blow for the Cyclone basketball team. Um, he was probably what he was the second best player on this team last year. You guys would say, right? Easily. Behind In some Brock- games, he was the best player. Yeah, behind mm-hmm. Brockington, and Brockington was also is also gone uh, into the NBA draft. Um, so we're back to building a team from basically a, we're gonna have ninety percent a new team again, just like we did uh, did last year. Essentially, what this is gonna come down to. So far, Kuntz um, will be back, and uh, is that about it? Has anybody else said for sure they're coming back? Um, like previously, I assumed Hunter would be back because I figured he would have entered his name into the transfer portal prior to today. Yeah, as far as I know, the only other person that we really, I say no for sure because he hasn't said anything, Caleb Grill would be coming back as a senior. Okay. But like, technically, Trey King joined our, he hasn't said he's coming back yet, has he? Robert Jones, he was a senior last year, wasn't he? Yeah, he hasn't hasn't said. No, he's a junior, my fault. No, he was only a junior, so he hasn't said he's coming back either. Uh, We did have a transfer in mid-season. Yeah, Trey yeah, King. Trey King. So I'm assuming he's going to be there. So that's um, like but, five but, people? Right. But with this news right now, I don't know who, who the other... Well, I guess that's might be including all the incoming athletes that have already uh, committed to the Cyclones, including Tameen Lipsy, Eli King, and uh, blanking on the third one... Um, those those players are the new recruits for this upcoming season, um, and with the news today of Tyrese Hunter, it leaves the the team with four open scholarships right now, without the uh, taking into account if um, Gabe Kalsher is coming back. So if he does come back, then the Cyclones have three open scholarships. Um, but in the transfer transfer portal, Iowa State has already splashed. We did talk about Jeremiah Williams. Um, they also just recently this week received a commitment from um, blanking on his name right now. Uh, Somebody forward, from BCU. Yeah, forward from yeah, BCU. Six foot nine guy. Um, so got a little bit of size from Hassan Ward, uh, who was, according to 24 7 Sports, an 86 composite ranking coming out of high school. Um, so Iowa State has filled a few of the gaps, but. Man, TJ is going to have to do the work again of putting together a really a hodgepodge of a team, um, just like he did he did th- this past season. Um, presumably, right now, Temple guard Jeremiah Williams, uh, who Iowa State just recently received his commitment in the transfer portal, and then Ames High standout to mean Lipsy will carry the load at point uh, with Tyrese Hunter's departure, but. The, the question still remains is how collegiate ready is Lipsy. Um, he did come back from a pretty big injury his junior year, played phenomenally his senior year, uh, had a triple-double in the state championship. Um, but Temple guard Jeremiah Williams might have the, will have the most college uh, experience for right now. So it's going to be – it's going to be a test again for for TJ. Um, can he pull together this squad? Does he is he bringing in the right guys to fill the voids? Um, who knows? But it is hard to deal with this much turnover. And you know the in, the transfer portal opened up, and now with the name, image, and likeness deals going around, uh, I just want to we want to talk about the state of college basketball right now. Um, and where it's at. So, Mike, 
Arian, what what are your thoughts about the current current state that we're in right now? Let me just take a hot second. I just want to read off all the people on the roster from this Cyclones men's team that are no longer, they're not coming back for next season, just so we have like a, a grasp of how many people are departing this program. Uh, Carter Booth, Isaiah Brockington, George Condit, Tristan Inaruna, Tyrese Hunter, Trey Jackson, uh, Jaden Walker are all people who are not coming back. And we do not know about Gabe Kalsher yet. But that is seven to eight people off this team. And you're getting turnover like you saw in the heyday of, you know, the University of Kentucky when they were all one and done guys going in the lottery every year, except we don't have lottery talent. We're just getting the turnover anyway. The transfer portal is weird. It's uncomfortable. We don't know how to deal with it. Uh, We look at it as fans and we say that's not fair. Like they can't just come here and then they can't leave. But I mean... It's not like the schools haven't been using these kids to make a million dollars forever. And like, if you have the opportunity to go be somewhere that's better for you, I, I'd say you should be able to do that. I don't like it. I don't like how it works. But when I think about it from a, a like a personal perspective of the person, it's hard for me to say that we should stop them from doing that in any way if that's what's best for them. However, you start thinking, should we be splitting uh, our scouting and recruiting partially to these new players, but you need to be looking at these guys who are freshmen or sophomore who have just entered that transfer portal because if they have already transferred once, then they do have to sit out that secondary. If they transferred again, they would be like the old duels where they have to sit out for a year. So now potentially those guys are more valuable than the guys who, if they don't like it, can transfer out immediately because they're kind of stuck there a little more. So it feels like you start moving towards that direction, I feel like, for a little bit more stability. Yeah, and... I, I just want to echo what Ariane said. And in the case of Tyrese Hunter, I, I mean, this kid has gone through a lot in his life. Um, and I do I blame him for finding a better deal that suits him better? No, I don't. Like, go, go make the money. Uh, do what you need to do. Um, do I question maybe was it going to be the right fit to, to get him to the NBA. Um, I think as Arian mentioned, uh, in our group chat, um, today when we were, had our initial reactions to this finding is, is he going to a better place that's going to, uh, prepare him for the NBA if that's his dream and ultimate ambition, as well as maybe Iowa state was, uh, if he just had the ability to become more of that go-to scorer and he was able to handle the ball, uh, it felt like Iowa State was almost the right fit for him. Um, but do I agree with, I mean, if if the rumors are true that an NIL deal was imminent and it made him have to leave Iowa State in order to take this deal so that he could be more visible, isn't that like some sort of tampering, right? That there should be, regulations on in NIL deals. I mean, the New York Yankees, for example, can't go out and uh, get Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yeah, sure. He could be paid more at New York, in New York, I'm sure, uh, and be able to play there in the Yankees stadium with all the history and whatnot. But he's under contract with the Toronto Blue Jays for X number of years. And in order for New York to get him, they would either have to wait until free agency or 
uh, have some sort of compensation in order to get him, by the way, like via a trade market. Now, is that something that college basketball is going to be able to do? A trade market and uh, like free agency? I don't know. But there should be, in my mind, some sort of ramifications for NIL deals essentially stealing a a player away from one of these quote unquote small market teams, right? Well, to, to me, you hit on what makes this hard, right? Is that harder from a fan perspective? Is that, um, right, in professional sports, you see players move all the time, but they are because they've got the contracts that are signed, right? You sort of know in a given year who's going to be leaving from your team, who's going to be staying, how long a player is going to be with your team, etc. Right? Where essentially what we've figured out in college sports now is basically anybody can and will leave whenever they want, which is good for the player. Like, good for them. Like, I certainly won't fault them, and I hope Tyrese Hunter finds whatever he's looking for. I mean, he's a Right? I've heard nothing but good things about him as a person, so I certainly don't wish him any ill will. Um, it's just tough for fans when you don't have the the when you just don't know. Right? It's the unknown that your team can just go from stable to completely blown up all overnight with no warning, basically, right? That's what makes it hard for fans is that there's no terms, right? They can just sort of go, um, go whenever. So, yeah, that's uh, that's what's tough for me, just because, uh, yeah, you just just don't have that consistency. Um, the other thing that I think is hurting this is right that the NCAA for a long time definitely has needed to do better for players, but the thing is they went from like zero to a hundred really, really fast, maybe not a hundred, but you know, they made a lot of progress for the players, but they made it all at once instead of, they could have been doing this incrementally over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, and I think we would have been in a better position now, right? Cause you add the free transfer and the name image and likeness all within like a year of each other before you have chance for either to settle um, and that's creating this ridiculous that this this crazy environment um, we're seeing right now. It's just a bunch of things that all came together at the same time. And I think eventually this stabilized. I mean, it's just not sustainable that there are a thousand div- basketball players every year in the transfer portal. That's just not sustainable. Um, so, yeah. Uh, no, it's going to saturate the market, right? Like if you have that many people in the transfer portal those transfers are worth less from one, an NIL perspective and two, from an actual playing time perspective. Like that, like, yeah, there's no way it's sustainable just because it's oversaturated. Yeah. yeah. And right. You've got going to have guys that enter the portal and you've seen this already guys that enter the portal who are going to go look for a good opportunity and maybe have a, a verbal commitment or verbal agreement from a team that they're going to go, but then, oh, that team, there's a better player that pops up in the portal. So now the team signs that guy, and now this other player who transferred his previous team filled his scholarship because he entered the portal, and now this guy's without a place to play, right? You have things like that happen too, where you just get players that transfer looking for something better, and they end up not where they, they end, don't end up in a better position either. Yeah, and this whole 
transfer the whole NIL deal and the debacle with how it just is so unregulated is all because the NCAA aggressively dragged its feet and refused to make any progress this entire time. The only reason that it exists at all is because there was legislature that was passed in California that basically made it legal in that state. And then every other state was like, well, if they can do it, maybe we can do it. And then the NCAA panicked, not wanting all of their top premier athletes all to go over to California or wherever. And they just kind of said, I don't know, do whatever you guys want. That's fine. I, I just need you guys to do it by yourself. And now we see what that is. Like, there are no regulations. There really aren't any rules. What is it to say I'm just a random booster for Iowa State? And I'm like, hey, I want to do an NIL deal with you. You just have to go and hang out at my house one day while I have people come here and then I'll pay you to go to the school. Like it, it's all that stuff that's on the edge. Like you are at a business or whatever, and you just come and do a meet and greet at the car show once. And then I just pay you a bunch of money. How is that really different than what we were doing before where we were giving kids cars to go play at the school and that was not allowed? Yeah. And, and you are seeing these things. Right? Like, so I saw a tweet yeah. today, right? Where literally there's a group of Iowa state boosters who are setting up I, I don't know how to phrase it, an NIL co-op, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, right? Where, the, you know, they'll put their money together to get NIL deals for some some of the players, right? To either stay here or come here, etc. Right? That's totally allowed. There's nothing against the rules about it. I mean, right? If you can think of, right? If they're going to donate to the athletic department anyway, why don't they, right? It's money that they were going to use anyway, so why don't, A, they get some value for it by getting a player at their business or whatever, and two, um, you know, do something that seems to make a bigger impact on the team than donating to the athletic department in this era. Yeah. So so I actually have no issue with this because I think the, the, the biggest issue that I have anyway with, uh, let's say, the institutions directly paying for students to come play is it kind of... Um, it takes away some of the credibility from that institution, right? At the end of the day, these are college, colleges, universities, and uh, you would think that academia would be their their primary thing, right? When you start right. mixing athletics and money and everything into here, that's when it kind of dilutes that uh, the academia portion of the university. So I don't really have an issue with these private businesses kind of forcing players to come to their college, I guess, with the money. But I think there needs to be restrictions on transfers. I feel like the NCAA putting the one-time transfer rule and NIL in at the same time, like you said, Mike, was just too much. And I'm kind of wondering if the transfer rule was pushed through um, in kind of a way to destabilize the NIL stuff. Because if there was more restrictions on transfers, I don't think we'd be seeing nearly as... uh, nearly the deluge of athletes in the transfer pool, right? Because if you have a thousand people that you need to sit out that they're worthless to pay NIL money to because the next year they'll be forgotten. Right. If you told Tyrese Hunter he needed to sit out a year to transfer here, he wouldn't be transferring. Now, is it fair to make him sit out a year? I don't know. Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. We can we can talk about that and we have before. But um, yeah, I agree. It would deaden some of that impact. I think you either need so, to restrict the money or the playing time. And I don't think you should be restricting the money because it's not fair to college athletes. You're going to have a much harder legal case for restricting the money than you are mm-hmm. the transferring. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, the, the one other thing that I want to talk about or like speak to is um, I read this from Jared Stansbury, who is a uh, – um, contributor to Cyclone Fanatic, 
and he mentioned the topic of are we going to start seeing um, these these conferences, these teams that have more and more money hoard all the players who can pay them, i.e. a Alabama football scenario or Georgia or Clemson, where you only have about four teams who are able to compete for like the, the Final Four National Championship every season. Do you see that becoming an issue in the current state of uh, the transfer portal and the NIL deal? We've talked about this. Um, when NIL was first rearing its head um, a, a while ago, we originally talked about this. And I think it's gonna we're going to see the opposite once everything kind of settles down, where you can only saturate so many well-known players to pay money for marketing gigs in a big team, right? Um, so you might see some of these smaller teams think, um, I can't think of a good example, but but a, a university where there's a lot of money there, but it's a, it's a small, not really athletic college. You might see a big donor, like you're already seeing at Iowa State, start paying for that talent to come to the small town. Like, I feel like it should even itself out eventually. Yeah, and I feel like I, I'm not that concerned about that because what you just described is just how college sports work anyway. It's been happening since before NIL. If you want to play football, you go play at Alabama. If you want to play basketball, you go to Kentucky or you go to KU, you go to Duke. That's that's just what you do. Like The money, I guess, could shift it a little bit or just enhance it, but that's just the story of college sports. The Blue Bloods are the Blue Bloods. There are no drafts. It's hard to get better when you never get the top players. That's how it's always been. Yeah, I think... I do think this will stabilize after a couple of years, um, but it it's going to be a rough couple of years, and maybe something needs to be done about it. I don't know exactly what. I don't have a good idea, though. So, Right. And what I would propose I mean, is a, a slight tweak to the one-time transfer rule where we still have them sit out for the year, but they don't have to – because originally the rule was you had to get permission, right, from your leaving institution for you to leave without going through a really lengthy process. So essentially you set out two years in, in some cases. You still have that sitting out time. Maybe it's reduced to a half a season or something, but you don't have to have permission to leave, I guess, because this is giving you everything, right? You don't sit out and you don't need to go. I, I feel like that would be a good middle ground. I don't I don't know. That's the best thing I have off, off the top of my head. Or maybe you, maybe, right? Maybe you, you got four years of eligibility, right? So maybe instead of scholarships being one year thing, maybe it's a two year thing, right? Maybe when Mm -hmm. you sign on, you have to stay somewhere for two years, and then you can go wherever you want if you want to leave. But maybe you have to stay for two years. Similar to like a free agency type type thing. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Or maybe you don't sit out at all. Maybe if you transfer, that just uses up a year of your eligibility. Like you don't have to sit out. You just have three years of eligibility now instead of four. I think they're going to have trouble doing that because then they're going to have trouble with the whole student athlete thing. You just yeah. say, hey, we're just taking away a year that you can be in college. Well, it's just I mean, for academic or just for athletics. I mean, you can be in the college without playing the sports. LeBron can go back and get a degree at the University of Ohio if he wants to, but he can't play basketball because he's already a pro. Yeah, that's true. He just doesn't but have any eligibility. Could you, um, but then you'd have to say like any, but even we'd honor your scholarship until you graduate if you mm. used a year it, you know, you'd have to put something like that in there. So you can't say, you know, now we'll only give you your athletic scholarship for three years and oh, now pay us yeah. for the rest oh, of the yeah. degree. <laughs> pay yeah. us for your fourth yeah. year. Because it all circles back, right? To, I kind of like the, the idea. Side. Yeah, I kind of like that idea, Arian. There would just be some 
some of the student parts of that that have yeah. to be worked out. I really do like that idea, though. I I do too. I mean, you you are taking you're you're taking a benefit of the system, but you're not having any ramifications. There's like zero impact to it. So I think that's why. I mean, I was just looking in the in the transfer portal, and Tyler Harris, former Iowa State Cyclone. Started his career at Memphis for two years. Transfers to Iowa State for a year. Has immediate eligibility. Transfers out of Iowa State to Memphis again. And now he's in the transfer portal again. So, I, I what is that? The three times in the transfer portal and zero ramifications uh, for it? Well, and, I don't know. And, yeah, and for the people who ask how that happens, so you can still transfer for free if you graduate, even if it's like a second time, right? So that's how somebody can transfer multiple times and um, still be eligible, not use that eligibility. Um, so, so something's got to change. Um, I don't know what it is. We don't have all the solutions. If you guys have other thoughts on what they should do, um, hit us up on social media, text us, tweet us. We love we love your feedback. We'll share it on the we'll share it on the the episode for good stuff to figure out. Um, so let us know if you uh, if you you got any ideas for what to do about this. Yeah, I just want to say one more thing. I feel like Kyle really hit it on the head in a phrase that I hadn't heard yet. There are just no negative ramifications. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? Generally, there are consequences to your actions, and I feel like you said it really well. You just get to go. If you want to go, go. You want to go and make money somewhere else, do it. And it has no, there's literally nothing that happens other than you're just allowed to do it. So, uh, yeah, we need to figure out something that there is, there need to be stakes to it other than just being able to do whatever you'd like, whenever you'd like. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Something, something's got to, something's got to give. Something's got to give. Um, so we are still um, a long way away from next college basketball season, but we are underway in the MLB. Um, we're still not to the point where you can check the standings. I hope you guys haven't checked the standings yet. Don't check the standings until May. I don't know if I told you that last week, but that's uh, that's another thing you should you should do is wait until May to check the standings. Um, but there are some storylines that are starting to emerge um, this year. Um, so far, and for me, the biggest storyline so far is um, injuries. Um, there have been a lot of injuries um, this year, really on every team. Nobody's been immune. Um, and I guess, I don't know, I haven't done an analysis to see if it's more than a, a normal year, but I've heard a lot of speculation that it has to do with the shortened spring training, that that might have had something to do with the injuries, especially with pitchers. Um, I don't know if you all have any thoughts on, on that because you always hear, oh, spring training doesn't need to be this long. We'll be ready. We'll get it figured out. But maybe um, we do need spring training after all. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? Is the injuries to do with spring training or um, just just happens to be the way it is this year? Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell because, I mean, at least for me personally, I don't monitor that that closely to see year to year and the differences in spring trainings i don't know if we have other shortened spring trainings to look at by it to see how that adds up side to side it may be something that's true but i I think it's kind of hard to tell at this point specifically yeah i mean it is hard to tell and can't there's no way to trace an injury back um to 
to you know a lack of spring training, right? Nobody's gonna gonna ad, uh, admit that. Um, so that's something that uh, is gonna be tough to quantify, but something to keep an eye on too as, as injuries keep going, um, or if they keep going. Hopefully they settle down. The game is just better when there are less big name players hurt. Um, other in, somewhat interesting things that happened around Major League Baseball in the last week. Um, in the minor leagues, there was the first ever eight-pitch immaculate inning. So if you all know what an immaculate inning is, it's when you strike out the side on nine pitches, right? You know, three strikes to every batter get the strikeouts. So there's an eight-pitch immaculate inning, three strikeouts on eight pitches. Um, so essentially what that means is there was an automatic strike called on the batter for not getting in the box in time. So remember that that pitch clock is a rule in the minor leagues this year that's probably coming to the majors next year. That applies to the hitter has to be ready as well as the pitcher to, to throw the ball, right? So there was an automatic strike called on a hitter from being out of the box as one of the strikes in the immaculate inning. Baseball just continues to um, come up with these... Um, Interesting little stats of things that have never happened before, and I enjoy seeing it. Um, that's that's a fun thing for me, at least. So, other than that, not many conclusions to draw from Major League Baseball yet this year. Give it another two or three weeks, and we will um, see on that. Um, Ariane, with the NBA play-in games done and the playoffs underway, what uh, what has happened that you want to? fill us in on yeah um another little fun thing that i saw in the mlb this week uh with the bases loaded uh the angels intentionally walked somebody to a run scored thinking that they could get that last out and get out of the inning and i believe three more runs scored that inning and the last one was scored on a pitcher balk so i thought that was really weird i don't know that there's ever been a score where the first score was an intentional walked batter into home base and then the last score of the inning was also a balk yeah so just probably yeah, the first time it was it was Corey seager who they intentionally walked yeah. um ariane i'm gonna try and get you a, a video for the social medias um Ooh, perfect for all of our listeners out there uh Mike Trout was left puzzled and bewildered in the outfield uh, when looking in and counting the number of runners on base and verifying that, indeed, his manager did decide to intentionally walk Corey Seager with the bases loaded. So hey, Good old Joel Madden. Very good. Very good uh, manager. Uh, yeah. But to the NBA, oh no, I lost my days. Uh, we had the plans like we talked about. Uh, last week, it started with the Cavaliers and Nets, and then the Clippers and Timberwolves, both the 7-8 seeds, so these ones, they would either get into the, um, playoffs, or they would get a second chance versus a another team. So the Nets beat the Cavaliers 115-108, to and then the Timberwolves beat the Clippers 109-104, to and celebrated like they had just won seven World Series and were promptly clowned about it by everybody. Um, I thought it was fine. There was a lot of mixed reactions to did they celebrate too much? Should they be allowed to celebrate? I think if you're feeling it, do it. You were excited. You were at home. All your fans were excited. So celebrate if you want to celebrate. That's, that's Sports is NBA, supposed to be fun. Yeah, that's what the NBA gets when they get these, right? These, what I, I consider them silly play-in games, Right. 
Like you put something that shouldn't have much, like the seven seed shouldn't be something that's generally celebrated. But when you turn it into a winner, go home, well, not go home, but winner, lose single game type thing, that's the sort of sort of thing you're going to get, right? So, that, I mean, it's probably what the NBA wants too. Yeah. But that's what you're going to get when you do that. So, yeah. Personally, uh, I love the plans. I think it's great. It adds a little bit of that college single elimination, but not really magic into it. And people say it rewards the bad teams. I think it punishes the teams who didn't do that well. Like, be one through six, or you got to play some random other teams to get in. Like, seven and eight is not in the playoffs anymore. It's like, you might get in, you might not. So I tend to think of it the opposite way. You have to earn your way into the top six. That's a playoff team. Anywhere else, it's not really good enough, and you have to try a little bit harder, and you have to do a little bit more to get into those playoffs. But... I can see it both ways. I tend to think of it as just kind of a an interesting wrinkle and just more. I mean, you saw a lot of teams pushing really hard to get to that sixth seed. Uh, and then you had the 9-10 games for both conferences. It was the Hornets versus the Hawks. Trey Young was god-awful in the first half and fantastic in the second half, and they just destroyed the Hornets 132-103. to And then you had the Pelicans-Spurs. Uh, the Pelicans did beat the Spurs 113-103. to we still have yet to see a Zion sighting. Uh, and then we had the Hawks Cavaliers. That actually might have been the game where Trey turned it on in the second half, to be honest. I don't remember. Uh, the Hawks beat the Cavaliers 107 to 101 to claim a, that second playoff spot. And the Pelicans Clippers as well. The Pelicans won to get that playoff spot. Unfortunately, Paul George came down with uh, health and safety protocols and was not able to play in that game. So just terrible luck for the Clippers. And then we kicked it in to the actual playoffs, got done with the play-ins. The Jazz beat the Mavericks in their first game. The Timberwolves, uh, in dramatic and convincing fashion, took down the Grizzlies, 130-117. to Everybody is all riled up and thinking that the Grizzlies are done already. I don't think that is the case. Um, The 76ers Raptors, uh, they're playing currently, but the first game was 131-111 Sixers. They looked very good. Tyrese Maxey played fantastic. Um, And then you had the Nuggets Warriors. Uh, Warriors won 123 to 107. They targeted Nikola Jokic a lot on defense. When you're running the entire offense, it's hard to also run the entire defense, especially when you're not a particularly gifted defensive player. And, you know, you have to deal with Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, Stephen Curry, all those guys. So they need to figure something else out or they probably won't win a game. Then yesterday on Sunday, we had the Hawks heat. Uh, the heat just shut down Trey Young completely. It was 115 to 91. It was not close. It was ugly. Uh, the Celtics Nets game, uh, the Celtics won it on a last second spinning layup buzzer beater by Jason Tatum to take down the Nets. Uh, Kyrie was booed voraciously the entire game by the Celtics faithful. Obviously, after having a short and tenuous career there. Uh, for like two years, he flipped some dudes off in the front row and said he was giving back that same energy and he was embracing the dark side. So uh, definitely turn that series on if you get a chance. It's going to be fun. I think it's going to be really chippy. It's going to be really fun for a first round series. It's not a normal 7-2 to two series. Both the 7-2 series actually are going to be really fun with the Wolves and the Grizzlies and then the Celtics and the Nets. So those are ones to watch for sure. And those, I think that I could see both of those going to seven. Um, Bulls and the Bucks. 
played a dirty game, very defensive minded. It was 93 to 86. Nobody hit 100. That's the kind of, you know, offensive or sorry, defensive shift you might see in the playoffs sometimes although i know mike made a comment he was like wow it's weird to see everybody all of a sudden remember how to play defense once we get to the playoffs and the bucks and the bulls definitely can do that and then the last game we had uh the suns and the pelicans the suns won 110 to 99 chris paul scored like 15 or 16 points in the fourth quarter and went seven of seven he was fantastic he's one of the best clutch players of all time He remains that, and he will keep doing that, so it's always awesome to see him play. And that's just kind of where we're standing right now. Does anybody have any questions about anything, any thoughts, any, uh, you know, outlooks from the games you watched this weekend? No, I really didn't see anything that was that unexpected um, for me. I mean, I've tried to watch the NBA a little bit more, um, so I'm I'm still learning. I'm still finding some things, but overall, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it, so I'm enjoying some of this playoff basketball. I and and I am as well. I will say that I I sat down and have watched bits and pieces. Um, I think this 76ers Raptors series is getting very interesting. Um, a series that I I could see the Raptors uh, kind of scrapping and and getting that to a game seven possibly. Uh, love the chippiness in there. Um, it's good to watch. Um, but I also one observation that I had is how how hard I th- actually let me take that back I thought the Mavericks played really really well for not having what is it three of their mainstay starters Ariane and especially uh, with Luca yeah out, Luka's out for sure and, and they can't like where's the scoring gonna come from they kept the game low scoring uh they were in it um but it, it just goes to show how much of a game changer Luka Doncic is when he's healthy yeah, they were lucky with the the trade that they kind of had another ball handler guy to work on. Obviously, they have Jalen Brunson, who's been fantastic this year and is going to get paid at the end of it. And then they got Spencer Dinwiddie, who I think makes a big difference as well. So even though they did lose uh, uh, Luka Doncic and they did not have Tim Hardaway, they had those other guys to kind of step in. And luckily, at least Jalen Brunson has had a really great season this year. Dinwiddie's kind of been up and down. That man, that man can't shoot free throws. You know that uh, I, that was at least what I noticed. I mean, for for being a guard in the NBA, you you think they would shoot maybe a little better from the free throw line. But, yeah. Oh well. Sometimes you have a bad night. Yeah. He, shot he shoots seventy one. Oh, seventy seven. I thought it was seventy one percent from the line for the season. So seventy seven for this regular season. So just having a, a rough go of it, I guess. Nice. Right, so. If I understand correctly, Kyle, um, something else that you um, saw while watching the games that you didn't know is rules-related. So for the second week in a row, I am going to let Ariane take over Mike's stupid rules. Um, And uh, go ahead and ask him, Kyle, what's your rules question? Yeah, so that same Dallas Mavericks-Utah Jazz game, uh, at the end of the game, there was... I forget who fouled... Oh. Bogdanovich fouled either Jalen Brunson or Spencer Dinwiddie uh, on a three-point shot. Um, Now the Utah Jazz coach challenged, which to my surprise, I was like, what the heck? NBA coaches can challenge? Uh, So, Arian, can you you enlighten us and 
enlighten me again like you already did once. Yeah, so the challenge in the NBA has been in the league for two or three seasons, I think. I can't remember exactly when they implemented it. It is still pretty new, but, um, you know, with COVID, I can't remember exactly what the season was because it got cut off and shortened, and I really don't remember. But it's been in place for a little bit. Uh, Each of the coaches gets one challenge per game. Um, You initiate it by, um, I believe the what they call it in the rules is twirling your finger in the air. But, you know, basically like the replay, the the replay symbol, you know, you stick your finger in the air and you swirl it around. And you're like, run that back, run the tape. So that would initiate it. Um, so each team has one. Um, you can trigger an instant replay. Um, if it is too long, like if it's somebody called the timeout and you're watching the Jumbotron overhead, and time elapses, and then you try and call a challenge that is not allowed. There is a certain time aspect to it. Um, I could go over all the million things that you can and cannot challenge within and not within two minutes, but that's a little in-depth, and we've talked about how annoying reviewable things are anyway, so just assume it's kind of similar with those two minutes, but if it is deemed that you... Uh, let me see the exact verbiage here. If the call subject to review pursuant to a challenge is not overturned, the challenge is deemed unsuccessful and the challenging team loses its timeout. But if the call is overturned, the challenge is deemed successful and the challenging team retains its timeout unless the timeout is taken in conjunction with the challenge initiated. So that's the one difference. Obviously, if you win your challenge, you get to play overturned, you get to keep your timeout. If you don't, you're wrong, you lose a timeout, and we go from there. I would love to see adapted kind of more of the NFL system where maybe you don't even have two necessarily, but if you get your first one right, you get a second one. And similar to if in the NFL, you get two challenges, one per half, and if you get both of them right, you get another challenge at the end. Um, You see it a lot now. People don't call their challenge at the beginning of the game, even when there is a call that got wrong because they're worried If I use it now, I don't have it at the end of the game. So I would love to see there being either one in each half, or if you get the first one right, you do get a second one so that you could have two. So you don't just have to take a bad call at the beginning of the game just because you want to make sure you have the option in the last quarter just in case. But I think it's been successful overall. There's been people who like it and people who don't like it. There's always the camp of people who hate instant replay in any capacity but they will also complain if somebody gets a call wrong and they're like, I can't believe you missed the call. So I don't think those people are ever happy. I think if you're going to review it, review it. It shouldn't take that long, but you should be able to review plays and just get the call right. So challenges have been in there for a couple of years. And in my opinion, it's been a benefit overall to the league. Thank you for filling us in on that. Ari. And I agree that there should be some sort of challenge. I mean, it's the point is to get the call right. So let's, Let's get the call right, and let's give a mechanism to do that. So I, I, I generally support coaches' challenges from a, from a big-picture perspective. We have the replay technology now to do it. So. I do wish they had something to throw, How like in the NFL. How far you throw it, though? Like, a shoe? Wow. Anything. Maybe like a small basketball stress ball or something. I don't know. Give them something, you know. I love to see how far the... You know, NFL players, usually they just drop it, the coaches do, for their challenge flag. But I'd like to see some distance on it. If they're particularly upset, they sometimes get some distance on it. 
Yeah, that would make it better. I do like throwing things, so. They have to make a free throw to do a challenge. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> Wait, I want to shoot my free throw to see if I can challenge. That would be pretty funny. Which, which coach do you think is the better free throw shooter? Steve Kerr. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was going to say that's that's probably first, yeah. first on the list. If he's healthy. Yeah, if he doesn't have back issues going on. But Steve Kerr is probably at the top of my list. I mean, but you've you've got a lot of former player coaches like Steve oh, Nash. Oh, Steve Nash is there, right? yeah. Steve yeah. Nash, Ty Lue, Jason Kidd. Yeah. Jason yeah. Kidd, yep. Not the jumpers love, were his thing specifically. I'd love to see Greg Popovich out there shooting a free throw. <laughs> yeah, he, he played some ball back in the day. You know, we should I, have like I'm a... I'm sure he was good at the time, but... We should have a Doc, coach thing. Like, instead of all these... Doc Rivers. Still coaching? Yeah, Doc yeah, Rivers. Yeah, the 76ers. Same time, yeah. Doc Glenn. Uh, we should, instead of like a boring celebrity game, we should have a coaches game for All-Star Weekend. Just get all these old coaches out there playing old man YMCA ball. I, everybody would watch that. That would be so fun. That would be fun. That I would, would be... I would actually tune into that rather than the, the celebrity game. Right? That would be more fun than the rookie sophomore game. Yeah. Yeah, it would. What else was really fun this week was our Write That Down predictions. I think in our first time ever on the 8311 cast, we have an accountability session with more than two predictions where every prediction was correct. I think that's a first on the 8311 cast. Well... Like, we might doing? I say, might I say it's a first because the only two names featured on here are Mark, Mike and Arian, Wyatt, Josh, and Kyle do not appear on this list, so that's why we were so good. Yeah. Are, are we getting better at predictions? Did we just get lucky this time? We'll find out. But uh, it was a good accountability session. First prediction to come off the board was one for me. I predicted the Wolves would make the playoffs, not just the play-ins, actually the playoffs. Um, as Arian mentioned, they did. So for that, I get a ding-ding-ding-ding. Ding-ding-ding. Arian predicted that Albert Pujols would hit a home run, at least one, in his first 10 games as a Cardinal. He did it in like the second or third game, right, Arian? Something like yeah, that? Yeah, he has hit two now. Okay, so definitely, definitely more than one there. Um, so for that, Arian gets a ding, 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 ding. And then before the play-in games, Arian predicted that both the Wolves and the Nets would make it out of the play-in games into um, the actual playoffs. They both won their first play-in game, um, definitely making the playoffs. So ding, 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 ding. ding. As per usual, I will start getting things back on the board. I'm going to jump on the um, jump on a, a tweet from uh, the Baltimore Orioles who beat the New York Yankees in a series this weekend um, and had a legendary tweet. It said, um, bad, week, bad weekend to be a Yankees fan, series loss, and the Lakers aren't in the playoffs. I kind of enjoyed that tweet <laughs> from, from Baltimore. I love that. Um, but that I, is I, good. Yeah, that, that was pretty good. Um, but I'm going to say that I don't think the Yankees are, are as good as people thought they were, and I'm going to predict that they're going to be under 500 um, at the end of May, so the end of the Write That Down prediction season. So, predict that they're going to be under you know, please. I don't know what they we're, are right now because I'm not allowed to look at the standings right now. Uh, 
you so can look I at can't... you can look at their record and see that it's five and five, but you can't look at the standings. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, oh, so you have to pull up the team. <laughs> I just have to like close okay. my fingers around it. <laughs> yes, so, so I think you should. I think you should change the rule and say that you can look at the standings, but you can't perceive. I can't perceive. Them. <laughs> <laughs> you can't perceive them. All right, so their series through April and May, uh, upcoming Detroit, then Cleveland. Baltimore, Kansas City, Toronto, Texas, Toronto, Chicago White Sox, Baltimore, Chicago White Sox, Baltimore, Tampa Bay, and then a one-game set with a or one game uh, at the end of May against the Angel. So they've got some they've got some good teams on their schedule in Toronto twice, Chicago White Sox twice. In but Tampa Bay, once. I heard Baltimore like twice. They get Baltimore, the Guardians, the Tigers, the Royals. Eh, the Rangers are. Rangers have good pieces. Are they actually good? Who knows? So I could see them playing 500 baseball through that. I would bet that they would. I don't like, want them to though. A, a, a double? I feel like our, our. I feel like our predictions should weigh into whether or not it actually happens. I think a double <laughs> well, is is reasonable though. I, I won't I, complain about that. Yeah, double it. Double it is. Man, I hate the Yankees. Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? He is. Josh is getting back on the prediction bandwagon, um, which something that I'm going to judge is uh, Wheelie uh, uh, going for a bunt base hit here to uh, get back <laughs> in the hit column. He's predicting that the Bucks will win their series against the Bulls. Um, according to 538, the Bucks have a 97% chance of winning this series. Um, so I think this is very much a single and we don't need to talk about it. Yep. Yeah, Agreed. do I pick the reigning champions with a potential MVP or do I pick the Bulls who are missing pieces? It's hard to tell. And have gone 1-14 against the top four teams in the East. Yeah, I think I'll take the Bucks. Single it is. Wyatt? I'm going to predict that the Mexican pizza is gone by the end of August. And you might be saying, Wyatt, the Mexican pizza has been gone from Taco Bell's menu since 2020. And to that, I say you're correct. However, Doja Cat, yeah, the the rapper um, in her Coachella set announced that the Taco Bell Mexican pizza is coming back. And sure enough, Taco Bell did corroborate that and say that the Mexican pizza is coming back on May 19th, 2022. Get hyped! You, you just, just said you is just it spoke good? French. You just spoke is French it? to Mike. He doesn't I, know what a Coachella I, is or a Doja Cat. <laughs> he doesn't know what the Mexican, Mexican pizza. pizza. Is. I have no idea what is, any of that just meant. Is the Mexican pizza good? Um, it's Taco I, I Bell. I, I'm I'm unsure. I know I've what Taco Bell is. I don't remember what it tastes like. So okay, the last time Mexican <laughs> pizza was out, how long did it last for? It was a, a like a standard menu item for a long time, like probably decades. Like I feel like that was one of their staples from the eighties. You consume weird media. I feel like what? Why do you that know is, this? That is accurate. Uh, I don't know. You big Doja Cat fan? Nope. Hmm. Okay. But it was like a normal, a standard menu item until they removed it in twenty twenty. How does one give a rating to this? Is it has it been announced as a limited time option? What what? What's the press release? 
It has not. Uh, here's the, the the today.com article that I found. It was it was it was originally <laughs> launched in 1984 and was a yeah. staple on the menu t- until 2020. <laughs> this thing yeah, looks it was gross. Like a menu item. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> what is this? This looks like something children would make at home. <laughs> <laughs> this looks like a this looks like a weird Friday night experiment that right. Wyatt had in 8311 late, late at night. <laughs> There was a change.org petition that garnered 200,000 signatures. Everything that makes up a Mexican pizza is like bone standard Taco Bell stuff besides the special sauce that goes on top. That was the only different item, right? The tortillas, the meat, the cheese, the tomatoes, everything else was like used for other items besides the specific Mexican pizza sauce. Uh, that's just a fun fact. I didn't feel like it should go in the intro fun fact because it's not sports related, but it can go here because this is my prediction. I can do whatever I want. So the article I see that that they are bringing it back for good is the article that I see. So is this like a triple? Since I, he's I guess. Gone? Sure. I I think. Can so. I hit a home run because yeah. it came back? I'm nah. gonna argue for a home run here. I'm gonna say triple. Triple. Ooh. I didn't hear a lot of argument for it. You just said, I'd like a home run, please. That is accurate. (laughs) Triple it is. What do you got, Kyle? Yeah, so I am not perceiving the standings, Mike. (laughs) Don't worry. I'm going to make an outside prediction that the San Francisco Giants are going to make the NLCS. Not part of the prediction, but I believe they will face the uh, Dodgers in the NLCS. So you'll have an all NL West championship series. So according to 538, the Giants uh no, sorry, 538 can't give me that number. According to FanGraphs, um the Giants have a 16.7% chance of uh, making it to the uh, NLCS. Uh, is that a double or triple? What do we got? What do we think? Think there? I mean, I, I think the Giants are a good team. I tend to think they would overperform before I think they would underperform. It's I don't know so if that early in the season, seems though. fair. That's, but I, yeah, I would echo Wyatt's sentiment there and say it is such a long season. Sure, and I'm predicting this. I, I'm what, on the fence, leaning towards in. the triple. Nevertheless, the odds are out already. It doesn't matter what how long the season is; like it's already out there. But the there is more change. variability in the odds the longer sure. the season is. That's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm fine leaning, with the triple. I'm leaning triple. I'm fine with that. Triple it is. What do you got, Arian? Uh, I have. There's been one game played so far in this series, and there is a lot of chatter about how the Grizzlies are done for. They're no good. They shouldn't have been a two seed. The Grizz or the Timberwolves are gonna just do mop the floor with them. I am going to say uh, the Timberwolves don't win another game and they get gentlemen swept. A gentleman sweep is where you lose four to one, and you are a gentleman because you allowed the team to win one of the games instead of just sweeping them four to zero. Oh, so I will I, say I, the the Grizzlies win four straight and then the Timberwolves go home. I definitely did not uh, read that prediction right. I uh, 
read that as the Timberwolves get the gentleman sweep, like they were going to win the series four no, to one. No, sorry, sorry to be that rude. Is, that is the exact opposite of what I thought you were predicting, and now I'm not very happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. That yeah, that's not a nice one for you, but okay. Well, I'm going to use ESPN's BPI for this, if that's okay with you, Ariane. I love BPI. So, they have a 79% chance to win game two, Memphis, that is. And then a 42% chance to win game three. And then a 42 again percent chance to win game four. And then a probably, yeah, then a 70% chance to win game five. So that gives it about a 10% chance of happening, according to my quick calculator math. So is that a triple or a home run, guys? What are we thinking? We're a home run away from the cycle. You're not... Uh, well, what was the total again? Sorry. 10, just, approximately. Just, just under 10%. 9.987%. Under, under 10%. 9.987%. don't think that's a home run. Wow, why is an enemy of fun? I've been called worse. Probably by, <laughs> probably by me. <laughs> yeah, probably. I I feel like nine percent, even t- taking it down to its best, is still not. It, it, I feel like that's not quite a home run, is it? Maybe I'm just. What crazy. did you say, Mike? What, nine point nine eight seven percent. No, no. What are you leaning towards? I haven't said yet. Nine feels like a home run percentage to me, but. I honestly don't think this is going to happen. I think the T-Wolves are going to get another one. So I'm going to say a home run. Yeah, I got excited with Kyle on this one. Sorry, Wyatt. That might just be my uh, homerism showing. I also think the Timberwolves will win another game, but that seems like a less fun prediction. No harm, no foul. It does complete the cycle. So with a single double, triple, and home run, and another triple, I guess, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 172 of the 8311 cast. Before you go listen to episode 173 next week, make sure you check out our Twitter and Instagram at 8311cast because we post awesome stuff throughout the week on both those accounts all the time. Signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!